We're excited, as you now know, to be starting a new series today in uh, the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest of the four Gospels, 16 chapters. Our plan is to take 16 weeks so that we'll finish. 16 weeks from today is Easter Sunday. So we'll climax with the resurrection uh, story, all being well, on Easter Sunday uh, as we begin today. The reason we've called this series The King and the Cross is because Tim Keller already pinched the best title, King's Cross, after the station in London. So we wanted to kind of have a slight tweak on that so we didn't look like we were copying him. The King and the Cross, why have we called this series that? I hope that you'll sense that it captures the paradox and, and the irony, if you like, in the life of Jesus. Kings really ought to live in palaces. And Roman crosses were generally reserved for criminals. And yet here we find the greatest king purposefully, deliberately, and willingly walking to a cross where he suffered and died. Even his closest friends didn't understand why until afterwards. And when they did, it changed their lives. And they, in turn, by God's power, changed the world. Our prayer is that as we um, engage with the Gospel of Mark, that our lives will be impacted as we encounter the Jesus that we find there. We're not just studying a historical figure as we come to Mark's Gospel. We're coming to encounter a living person, a person who is still alive and who still changes lives today, now. So this isn't just an academic exercise. Uh, Some years ago, there was a, a, an academic scholar who was invited to translate some Greek uh, poetry, Homer, um, into modern English for a Penguin Classics series. And uh, when he finished the translation, this guy was about 60 years old. He'd been an agnostic all his life. And after he, he must have done a good translation because the publisher approached him again and asked him this time if he would translate the Gospels. And uh, his son, on finding out this uh, second invitation, uh, said, it will be interesting to see what Father will make of the four Gospels. And then he added, but it will be even more interesting to see what the four Gospels make of him. And sure enough, within a year, his lifelong agnostic father responded to the Gospels he was translating and committed his life to following the Christ that he encountered in those pictures. This has been millions of people's experience. Tim Keller describes how, as a young man, he poured over the Gospels in them, analysing them, until he realised that these Gospels had actually been pouring over and questioning and analysing him. So I've been praying, I hope that as we come to this new series, as we engage with the book of Mark over these next few weeks, 
I, I hope as we read it, you'll sense it reading you, or rather the Jesus of this gospel reading you, reading your life. And I hope that you'll sense your, your very deepest needs and desires being met as you encounter the Lord Jesus. Now, in, in the little program, you, you will see we, we have a fairly simple uh, outline. Uh, I've divided our time this afternoon into three sections. And um, first of all, I want to make some brief comments about Mark's gospel. And then we'll spend the majority of our time walking through some of these verses that Ben read to us. And we'll think about how Mark begins to establish the credentials of the Lord Jesus. And then finally, and more briefly at the end, we'll close by hearing from Jesus himself as he preaches and as he calls his first disciples to follow him. So three, three sections. First of all, then, uh, introducing the Gospel of Mark. Um, let me just say three quick things um, about the Gospel of Mark. So, someone laughed when I used the word fanciful earlier. I, I don't know if that's a common word. It kind of made sense to me. Um, the first thing I want to say here is that the Gospel of Mark is early and true rather than late and fanciful. Um, you, you will often hear people argue, if you've uh, engaged with the Gospels at all, you'll often hear people argue that all the Gospels were written centuries after the things that they claim to describe and that they basically were embellished uh, many times over the years as these stories were passed down generations and the suggestion of course behind that um, statement is that none of us should take any notice of these gospels because they are fabrications that only the most gullible people would believe they're fanciful a few years ago I read Mark's gospel with a friend who wasn't a Christian and we met up in the pub uh, to discuss it. He'd never read the Bible before in his life. And I remember sitting in the Robin Hood pub in our village with this, this guy after he'd read the first seven chapters. And we sat in the pub and I remember him expressing his shock. And he told me how surprised he was to find that it wasn't at all what he'd expected it to be. He said that it didn't read like a myth. It didn't read like some kind of propaganda. Rather, he said, these are his words, it struck him as an eyewitness account with very little commentary. Jesus did this, said that, went there, went here. He said, I, I thought there'd be more propaganda, more, more explanation and commentary. It just reads very straightforwardly, like an eyewitness account. He was struck by how simple and straightforward it was. Actually, Mark's gospel is now known to be the earliest of all the four gospels. And we've already hinted in the video that we've seen that the author, Mark, was a close friend of Peter, who was a disciple of Jesus, He's referred to in the passage that Ben read by his name Simon, Simon Peter. Um, these two guys 
ended up in Rome maybe 30 years or so after Jesus. And Christianity was already spreading rapidly. That's where they ended up in Rome. They, they were in Rome during the reign of the Emperor Nero. And in that great city, in this era, as Mark's gospel is being published and circulated, Christian believers were being fed to lions in the arena for sport. The reign of Nero was a time of intense persecution for Christian believers. So this gospel isn't late, but early. And it isn't a private thing. This is a document that became public and was circulated widely and, and was influential. Um, many many uh, of the people referred to in Mark's gospel would have still been alive and still been known to people who were reading this gospel when it began to be circulated. So far from it being late and fanciful, Mark is a reliable and accurate eyewitness account of the life of Jesus that we can trust. And because Peter is behind it, although Jesus is the central figure in the story, Peter's never far away from the action. And that leads to a couple of other observations that relate to Peter. Secondly, Mark's gospel never tries to pretend one of the striking things about Mark is the way the disciples of Jesus are portrayed as being so slow to believe in Jesus. Peter, you may know, became the main leader of the early church and no one would have dared to portray their leader in the way that Peter's portrayed in Mark's gospel. This is one of the things that, one of the facts that points to Peter's involvement with Mark co-writing this gospel. Peter ends up in this gospel cursing Jesus in public. On one occasion, he takes Jesus to one side privately to rebuke him. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Peter is not portrayed as some kind of spiritual hero all the disciples are portrayed as very slow to believe. And the author of this gospel, Mark, is another interesting character. Mark was a missionary who traveled with the great apostle Paul around the Mediterranean, preaching the gospel until he lost his bottle and left Paul and went home such that Paul later didn't want anything to do with him. And when he went on his second journey, he refused to take Mark with him because he'd been a deserter the first time. You can read about that at the end of Acts chapter 15. So here's a gospel that is written by a man who denied Jesus and a man who bottled his faith. If you ever feel in your life, like I sometimes do, you, maybe you feel sometimes that you've made such mistakes that there's no hope for you. Maybe the Gospel of Mark is exactly what you need to read. This is a Gospel that points to a Jesus who can restore the stumbling, defeated, deniers and quitters and make something good out of them. 
This is never a gospel that puts a gloss on their human behavior. It was written by failures about the hero who rescued them and restored them. Thirdly, I want to suggest to you that Mark's gospel never tries to be too clever. I I sometimes wonder what it would have been like to hear Peter preach. I'm, I'm kind of reminded of like Bilbo Baggins at like when he's old in the Lord of the Rings film and he's recounting all the adventures that he'd seen and the twinkle in his eye as he kind of recounts to the other hobbits and his family all of the adventures he'd seen and been on. I wonder what it would have been like to hear Peter as an older man recollect the things he'd seen. We have a letter that Peter wrote around the time Mark was published. And in that letter, Peter says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What a twinkle must have been in his eye In later years, as he recounts his experience of the Lord Jesus. But Peter was always the blunt one. Sometimes you get the impression in the Gospels that Peter was the one who opened his mouth before his brain had engaged. He, Peter was always straight in there at the front of the action. And I think you get that sense with Mark's gospel, as, as Mark records, in a sense, Peter's preaching and collates it into this gospel, you can feel the stamp of Peter's influence on it. I don't know what you're like at getting up in the morning. We're really great at getting up in the morning in our house. As you know, not. Um, I don't know, maybe it's something in our water in Aston. It just seems to make us sluggish for the first three or four hours of the day. But um, this gospel begins like an alarm clock going off. There's no messing about. It's like having a glass of cold water thrown in your face. Boom! Wake up! I read of someone who trained as a journalist... And one of their former bosses, who was a journalist for the New York Times, gave them some advice about how to write the first sentence of an article. The first sentence you write, if you're a journalist, if you're an aspiring journalist, here are two tests that your first sentence should pass. The first test was that the first sentence should not be longer than 24 words. And the second test was that it should answer, the first sentence should answer the question, who, what, where, how, and why? And if 24 words wasn't enough, the only one of those questions you could relegate to the second sentence was the why question. All the others you had to deal with in 24 words in the first sentence. I think if Mark had been in that lady editor's class, he would have smashed it with an A star or a nine or whatever it is kids get now I can't keep up with what the grades are Mark starts his gospel with a bang Matthew by contrast 
starts with a genealogy that goes on for 17 verses. And he finally describes Jesus as the saviour of the world after 21 verses. Luke begins with a sentence of 82 words before telling us the story of Jesus. John introduces his gospel by one sentence of 17 verses that are theologically deep and mysterious to show that Jesus is the Son of God. Mark packs it all together in 12 words. <laughs> Boom! Again. This is the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It's like a glass of cold water. Mark begins in a way that slaps us, shocks us, wakes us. Now that Jesus is here, anything can happen. And the whole gospel carries on in this vein. It's all so blunt and direct. One writer sums up Mark's gospel Mark is about as subtle as a sledgehammer. This is the gospel which gives us the Jesus who says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. This is the gospel in which Peter, the greatest apostle, is called Satan by Jesus. This is the gospel that says Jesus' family thought he was out of his mind. This is the gospel where pigs are invaded by demons and rush over a cliff into the sea. This is the gospel where John the Baptist's head is presented to Herod on a silver plate. This is the gospel where, in essence, Jesus calls a Syrophoenician woman a dog. This gospel is many things, stark, powerful, dramatic, disturbing, confrontational, paradoxical, even ironic. Subtle, however, is not one of the terms that immediately comes to mind. The pace is rapid. This is the shortest gospel, and yet it contains the most miracles. There are no genealogies, there are no birth narratives, there's no Sermon on the Mount, only a few parables. This gospel is breathless. As Jesus moves through the various action sequences, a lot of Mark's gospel is told in the original language, in the present tense. And you almost feel like you can smell it. You're there. You're in it. Once upon a time, there was an experienced lawyer who gave some advice to a new young lawyer. And they said this, if your facts are strong, hammer on the facts. And if your facts are weak, hammer on the desk in this gospel Mark doesn't have to shout or hammer on the desk he just hammers on the facts he never pauses to explain what is happening his aim is simply to let the account of the life of Jesus speak for itself What a privilege we then have to hear eyewitness, authentic, hope-filled, 
unvarnished truth about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I pray that as we engage with what we might call the Word of the Lord, that the Lord of the Word would speak to us. Now, you, you can tell that this is not a whodunit. We watched some Agatha Christie over Christmas and you never know till the end whodunit. This is not a whodunit because Mark, in that 12 words of the opening verse, it's a bit more in this translation of IV, he tells us what this gospel's about. Jesus is the Son of God. There's no whodunit here. And that first verse sets up the whole book because we as readers know who Jesus is but as Jesus strides onto the scene what we, what we get to see is how different people react to this Jesus the son of God but before Mark gets into the main action I think he spends a little bit of time in this first section establishing the credentials of Jesus. So I've broken this up into four separate pieces of evidence, if you like. So they're there in the program. Let's wait through them. This is part two then. Establishing the credentials of Jesus.